0: This is a talk about second chances and new beginnings for three people. Let me, let me ask if you might be one of these people. First of all, could you be here today, and you were just born in the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong family, and life put you on the wrong road before you actually had a chance to even think about it. In fact, you didn't even know it was the wrong road, but before you realized that you're on a path with painful people, toxic thinking, harmful habits. And you don't know how to get out of it. You don't know how to turn around. And sometimes you find yourself saying, if only I'd been born in a different time, different place, a different family, or if I'd met different people. But you didn't meet different people, and that's too late. And you wonder, is it possible to start over? Well, let's take somebody else maybe here today, and it's different for you because you were born to a, a good family, not perfect family, but you were born to a good family, and you had some good coaching. And you were taught the difference between right and wrong. But somewhere along the line, you made a bad choice or a bad series of choices. And you found yourself in a place you didn't think you would ever be. And you're on a painful road. And if you were to tell the truth about it, you would say, I'm here because I made a bad choice. But you can't say that. It's too painful to say. And now, to be honest, you're looking for someone to blame. You would never admit that to yourself. But that's the case. If you can find somebody who's part of that painful narrative, or even more, if you can think back on what God could have done perhaps to have kept you from where you are, it's easy to blame God for it. And the reason why you you, you can't admit that it's your own choice that puts you on the bad road is that it would be just too painful to admit because the only thing that would be left if you admitted that it was your choice that put you on the bad road is self-hatred. And truth is, you already hate yourself enough already. And then where would it lead? And so you sort of hold on to where you are in life and say, "Well, I just don't know how I got here. It's somebody else's fault, but deep inside, you know it was your choice." I wonder if there's a third person here to, today, and and your story is totally different from the first two because, I'm. You've really tried to do a pretty good job in your life. I mean, you're not perfect, but you're the kind of person that helps people. I mean, you're just, it's just part of your DNA. I mean, you serve people. I mean, if your neighbor is on vacation, you mow his grass. If a family down the street has somebody in the hospital, you take food in. You're, you're just the kind of person that serves. You're the first person there, you're the last person to leave. And it's just your nature. You're a helper, you're caring, you're compassionate. And throughout your life, you've put others ahead of you. The only problem is you're in the middle of your life and you wake up one day and you find out that's where all the others are, ahead of you. And you're thinking to yourself, wow. And it it could be at that point that you discover that you've had a silent enemy, maybe two silent enemies working against you, the clock and the calendar. And you wake up one day and you're 45, 55 years old And after trying to live a really nice life and a good life and to be kind to people, you discover that a culture that worships youth has no place for you anymore. And day after day, in its own subtle ways, the culture whispers to you things like, You missed your chance, it's too late for you, you're too old. And now you're wondering when they're going to get rid of you and find somebody who's cheaper and younger, or maybe they already have gotten rid of you to find someone who's less expensive and younger. And you wonder if there's any way that you could start over again or if it's possibly too late. I'm asking you today, straight up, is there a second chance for those three people? For the person who's born in the wrong place at the wrong time, who was on the wrong road before he or she even realized it? Or to a person who had a good start in life but made some bad choices and wound up on the wrong road? Or for the person who's tried hard to be a good neighbor and the world has passed him by while he was busy being a nice guy or she was busy being a nice gal? Is there... Hope for those three people to have a new start in life. A new start. Not just an improvement, but a second chance at life. Well, there is. And there's a story in the Bible about second chances. And the really interesting thing about this particular Bible story is it's one story, but it's a second chance for all three of those people, and you're going to meet them. And I hope that as I tell this story, you're able to find yourself in this story if you're a person who could use a second chance. Let me give you their names right up front. Their names are Ruth. Naomi, and Boaz, they're found in one of my favorite books in the Bible. There's a little four-chapter book nestled back in the middle early part of the Old Testament simply called Ruth. It's one of the two books in the Bible that's named after a woman. And Ruth is a super legend, and this is an extraordinary book. It's extraordinary because, number one, it's a story that you can't put down. If you haven't read it, you need to just sit down and read it because I promise you, even male or female... You know, don't say, well, that's, 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 that's a chick book. I'm going to tell you something, guys. This is a great book. You're going to love it. You just cannot put this book down. And beyond that, what's really special about the book of Ruth is that Ruth is a book with extraordinary symbolism for Jesus Christ. And, and you cannot avoid it. I mean, every, every, every place you look, there's Jesus in this story. And that's important because right now we're in a series called Family Tree. And we're looking at the family tree of Jesus And last week, if you were here, I shared with you that in Matthew's genealogy, in his family tree of Jesus, he mentions four women. He goes out of his way to mention four women. Ordinarily, in a genealogy in the first century, in such a male-dominated culture, ordinarily it would just be the names of men. But Matthew selected, under God's inspiration, the names of four women. And these are four women with special circumstances. And one of those four women is a woman named Ruth. In Matthew chapter 1, it says Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. For the next few moments, I want to tell you the story. Just please grant me the latitude to tell you the story because here's the thing. The second chances won't be apparent if you and I don't take some time to unfold the narrative. First person I want you to meet is I want you to meet Naomi. Naomi is, uh, well, her name means pleasant or beautiful. Have you ever known a woman that just her personality and her countenance and her smile just lit up the room. You know, it's like I think when when Naomi walked in, everybody said, okay, the party started, Naomi's here. She just had a charisma about her and a beauty. In fact, her name means pleasant. If you wanted somebody pleasant to talk to, if you wanted somebody to just sit down at Starbucks with and, and talk about what's going on in your life and know that when she left, she wasn't gonna rip you Or say something negative. If you just want to sit down with an encourager, you would call Naomi and say, hey, can you meet me at Starbucks? Naomi lives in a place, get this, called Bethlehem. A full thousand years before Jesus is born, Naomi lives in Bethlehem. And Naomi is part of God's people that he has taken out of Egypt and brought into the promised land. But Bethlehem, at the particular time we open the book of Ruth, is not a real good place because the people of God have been busy flipping God off. You know, there is this idea that God will just put up with any behavior, but that isn't true. And these were God's people that he had brought into the promised land. And because they had been worshiping idols and been disobedient to him, God had allowed Israel to experience a famine. And at that, it was at that point that Naomi and her husband Elimelech made a terrible decision. I should tell you before we get into that terrible decision that her husband's name was Elimelech, and she had two sons named Malon and Kilion. And living in Bethlehem in the time of famine, they finally threw up their hands and said, Hey, life here isn't going to get any better. And they decided to leave Bethlehem and move to Moab. This is the very opposite of what God's plan was for them. God's plan was to get them out of captivity and take them into the promised land, but now they are deliberately choosing to get out of God's plan, get out of God's will, and go to Moab. Moab was an awful place. I mean, of all the places they could have chosen to go, they should never have chosen to go to Moab. Moab was a moral cesspool. I mean, this is a people group that had actually begun, and, and I'll be genteel about this, this is a people group that had begun in incest and, and, and the nation was full of every, kinds, uh, every kind of imaginable and unimaginable depravity, sexually and morally. But if that wasn't enough, their worship system was horrific. They worshiped a panoply of mythological gods, but one god in particular, Molech, was the worst of all. Molech, really, to be honest with you, was an oven. But Molech was, uh, it was in the shape of a, Uh, Well, the face of Molech was a bull, and and the arms of Molech were outstretched, and his belly was hollowed out, and it was basically a brass furnace. And in order to appease this god Molech, the people of Moab would stoke the furnace and get it very hot. And then, I'm sorry to be so graphic on what's already been a difficult weekend, but truth is truth, they would lay their children on that altar as a sacrifice to Molech. Why on earth would God's people leave Bethlehem where God had sent them? Why would they leave and go to Molech? Well, the answer was the almighty dollar. They thought, that here's the thing. At this point, they decided to trust, they decided to trust conditions in Moab more than they trusted God and his provision. Basically, Elimelech and Naomi were saying, we're not gonna change, we're not gonna change our life, we're gonna change our place and we're going to trust Moab. Guys, I don't want to take a whole long time talking about this today, but I need to. If you're a Christ follower, if at some point in your life you've given your life to Jesus Christ, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for my life. Probably 90% of that plan is universal. It's the same for you as for me. It's when we get in the Bible and God tells us to obey him. That's God's plan for our life. That is God's will. And then beyond that, let's just say 10% of it is specific to you and to me, where we're to be, who we're to marry, the life that God wants us to live. And here's the thing about that, as long as we're in God's plan, we're under the umbrella of God's blessing. When we move out from under that umbrella, the blessing goes away. I don't mean by that that if you're in God's plan, bad things can't happen to you. They still can, it's a broken world. But I'll tell you this, I've been in God's will and I've been out of God's will I'd much rather be in God's will. I've been in God's plan, and I know what it feels like to be out of God's plan. I'll tell you, when I go through hard times and I'm in God's plan, I have God's reassurance. When I'm out of God's plan and I go through hard times, for all I know, I'm going through hard times because I've made a bad choice. And that can be very painful. Well, for whatever reason, and I'm not here to say why, but... Bad things begin to happen. Well, before they happen, I should tell you this. The boys grew up and got married. They married Moabite girls. They married girls who were born into this culture. One girl's name was Orpah, and the other girl's name was Ruth. But then the bad things started to happen. Elimelech, the husband and dad, Naomi's husband, the boy's dad, died. Hearst pulled up, took Elimelech away to the cemetery, Elimelech died. And then one by one, over a period of 10 years, the two sons, Malon and Kilion, died. And one day Naomi, whose name meant pleasant and beautiful, woke up to realize all she had left were two Moabite daughters-in-law, no husband, no sons. And during this time, Naomi happened to hear that God had reversed conditions in Bethlehem, that they were being blessed again and having great harvests, and it was harvest season. And Naomi, I don't think she had a plan in mind I just think she said to herself, I'm going home. I'm going home. And she told her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, that she was going home. And at first the girls said, hey, we're going to go with you. And then Ruth does the most extraordinary thing. Ruth says, go back. Go back. And they said, no, we don't, we don't want to leave you. And, and, and Naomi says, you girls are not thinking. She said, "I'm I'm a old middle-aged old woman, and I'm sure she felt old at that moment." She said, "Look, I, look, if I were to get married tonight and have two more sons, and would you you wouldn't wait for them to grow up? That's not that's not reasonable. I mean, your 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 decision to go back to Bethlehem with me it's a it's an emotional decision, but it's not reasonable. Go back. And when Ruth decides to stay." I'm almost ashamed to read to you, since Naomi was a God follower, guys, I'm almost ashamed to read to you what Naomi says to her. Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. I want to tell you, sometimes watching a God follower who's out of God's will is a painful thing. Sometimes nobody is more miserable than a God follower who's not following God. I, I think sometimes I've seen atheists who are much happier than a God follower who's not following God. And I, and I don't want to be too hard on Naomi. I mean, please, this is, I'm not ripping Naomi. I mean, after all, I understand clearly she lost her husband, she lost her sons. And the thing about it is, in that process... Naomi's at a place where she's lost her hope, and then we see, I mean, here's the thing. How could she tell her daughter-in-law, whom she loved, to go back to her gods when you and I know the gods that they served in that place? How could she do that? It's because Naomi had not only lost her hope, she had lost her faith. She had lost her faith in her God. This is for another sermon someday. But I love so many things about God. One of the things that I love about God is when I lose faith in him, he doesn't lose his love for me. When I'm holding God and he's holding me and I turn loose of God, he still holds me. And Naomi has so lost her hope, she has lost her faith, but fortunately for her, and I can't explain why, that this girl, Ruth, who was born in the wrong place, in the wrong time, in the wrong family, Ruth suddenly begins to have faith build up in her. And Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. When Naomi saw that Ruth was filed this away, determined to go with her, she says nothing more. And so Naomi and Ruth make their way back to Bethlehem, and you see them as they walk into the city limits of Bethlehem, and the people see them coming. But the Naomi who has come back to Bethlehem is not the Naomi who left. And the people cannot help but notice the marked difference in Naomi because no longer is this the young, pleasant life of the party woman you would call to have coffee with. Her hair now is matted and streaked. Her face covered with wrinkles that pain has brought. There's no smile anymore, just the anguished look. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever made mistakes in life and known that people were talking about you? I'm not talking about being paranoid. I mean, you knew they were talking about you. You could hear the whispers. And when Naomi came back to town, the whispers were very loud, I guess. Could this be Naomi? This, who, is, that, is that Naomi? What's the deal with the Moabite girl? Is that, 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 that can't be Naomi. And Naomi hears some whispering, and and, and she decides to speak out to the whispering. She says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, God has treated me harshly. I went out full, and he brought me back empty. In verse 22, she said, God has hit me with his fist. Well, there are two women living in Bethlehem now, and there's no way to earn a living. It's almost as if Naomi didn't have a plan. But as they were walking into town at harvest time, Ruth noticed something. She saw the harvest fields, and there were young women out there in the harvest fields picking up stalks of grain. And Naomi asked her, Ruth asked her mother Naomi, uh, mother-in-law, Naomi, what's this deal? And, and, Na- and Naomi said, oh, well, we, we have, God gave us a plan in our culture for poor people who don't have any fields. Uh, and the Farmers are not to harvest the corners of their fields. And then if stalks of grain fall, they can't pick them up there to let them stay there so that people can come in and pick them up. And she said it's called the law of gleaning. And Ruth said, Well, I think I can do that. And so Ruth, I guess at random, certainly not knowing what she was doing, Ruth chooses a particular field. The field that she chooses is owned by a man named Boaz. Boaz is probably the nicest guy in town. He's a middle-aged bachelor. And he's loved by everybody, and he's got a very successful business. But one thing about Boaz, no doubt people looked at him and said, what a shame about poor Mr. Boaz. He's the nicest guy in town. He's got a wonderful business, but no wife and no kids. What a shame to have that big business and nobody to leave it to. And no doubt Boaz thought it was a shame too. I don't know why he never got married. Maybe he was just so busy building his business that he, he didn't have time for a wife, or most likely Boaz was just too shy to ask anybody out. But he is a nice guy, and he owns a field, and it just so happens that Ruth picks his field to glean in. Now, now stop for a moment. Let's take a time out in this thing. Let's, let's pull over to a rest stop. Ruth isn't planning anything. Naomi isn't planning anything. Boaz isn't planning anything. But God is. God's going to take one story and give three people a new beginning. Do you believe God can do that? I'm talking to somebody here today, and you think there's a new, and here's the deal. You're, you're about half mad at me, because there's a part of you that says, "Mark, don't even get my hopes up. I don't think there's any new beginning for me." See, here's the deal. When you give God a chance, God can do extraordinary things for people who are born in the wrong place at the wrong time, for people who screwed their lives up by bad choices. He can give new beginnings to people who feel like they're too old for new beginnings. Well, let's leave the rest stop and get back to the story. Boaz rides out to his workers, and by the way, you get a little feeling of labor relations here with Boaz and what kind of man he was. Here, these guys are working for Boaz, and he rides out and he he puts a blessing on all the men who are working for him. The Lord bless you. And the men turn around and say, the Lord bless you. I get the feeling that Boaz was good to the guys who worked for him, and the guys who worked for Boaz like working for Boaz, they liked him. You could tell there was a warm relationship between the owner, you know, between, between management and labor, that, how odd is that? Boaz was a special guy. And while he was blessing his workers and they were blessing him, Boaz says to his foreman, hey, hey, who's the gal? And the foreman said, well, I hope it's okay, sir. He said, uh, she came in this morning and asked if she could glean in our fields, and I told her it was all right. she's, uh, she, you all know, right. She's that Moabite girl that came back with Naomi. It might have stopped right there, but Boaz decided not to let it stop. He rode over to Ruth, and he said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to harass you. And whenever you're thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars in field." At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. Boaz replied, "I've been told about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge." Well, that's a sweet blessing. Boaz rides away. Then he gets to thinking, and then he rides back to Ruth. He says, "Excuse me just a moment. I got thinking about something. You got plans for lunch?" Ruth said, no, I don't have any plans. Bless it. Why don't you come have lunch with me and with my team? So here's now Ruth, a gleaner. She's sitting there at the head table with Boaz, and Boaz is sitting there talking to her, and she's eating, you know, she's eating this best meal. And then i got to tell you this. After Ruth went back to work, we have what would be one of my favorite lines in the Bible. If you ask me, what are your top 25 lines, favorite lines in the Bible, Mark, this, is, this has got to make my cut. I love this. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her and pull out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Drop them on purpose. Well, she goes home with a truckload of grain. And when she gets home, it's real clear to Naomi, this is no normal experience. And so Naomi asked her, where'd you gather all this grain today? Where'd you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. That's the first positive thing Naomi has said about God in a long time. And she said, well, I went to the field of this nice Mr. Boaz. Now, Naomi knows three things right then. The first thing Naomi knows is this is not normal. second thing she knows is Boaz is smitten with Ruth. And then Naomi knows something else that you and I wouldn't know if it weren't for the book. That was a law. It's kind of hard for us to understand because we live in such a different culture today. But if you go back in time and think about it, there was was no life insurance. There were no social services. And for a woman to lose her husband, and it was very much a male-dominated culture in that day, for a woman to lose her husband, she was just without, without means. And so among the Israelites, there was a special law. Again, it's hard for us to understand just the way law worked back then. There was a special law... That if a man died, leaving a wife, that the closest male relative could and should redeem her and redeem the family and marry her and raise up children to that dead man's name if the man so chose and if the woman so chose. If the man and the woman were both agreeable, it was called the law of the kinsman redeemer. What Ruth does not realize is she has walked right into the field of Boaz, who is one of the closest kinsman redeemers in her family. And I don't know if you can feel it or not, but the light has come back on in Naomi's eyes just a little bit. Because when Naomi hears Ruth come back, Naomi (laughs) knows this is not normal. Boaz is smitten, and Boaz is qualified to be a redeemer. Well, suddenly Naomi kicks into action. She's got a plan now. I should tell you this before we get into this. Just follow this way for a few minutes. It's harvest time, and at harvest time, what would happen is they would thresh the grain, and it would be huge. I mean, huge mounds of grain, and it was really kind of party time for all the owners during this during this season. And and at night, they would after they after they did all their work, and they had these huge piles of grain from the day the men would, would get together and they would have a banquet, so to speak, and then when it was all said and done, in order for security reasons, and I'm sure it's also ceremonial too in celebration, the men would sleep by the big piles of grain with their heads into the grain and their feet out. kind If you want to get a picture of this, it was almost like spokes. If you can see this huge mound of grain in the middle and guys with their heads in and their feet out, kind of like that. File that. You'll need that. Okay. So now Naomi kicks into action. She's, it's threshing time now. And, and so Naomi says to Ruth, now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Some things have not changed in 3,000 years. <laughs> 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 then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you till he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Now, now please understand, this is all cultural. There's nothing sexual going on here. It's just that when Ruth goes in, you must understand. Think about this again, guys, with their heads in, feet out. Ruth is basically uncovering the feet of Boaz, and that is her way of saying, I have chosen you to be my redeemer. Of all the spokes coming out of this wheel, I have chosen you to be my redeemer. Okay. Oh, Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's Ruth, and he sees her at his feet. And he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you've not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you're a virtuous woman. And then in verse 13, after he clears up one little matter, he said, as surely as the Lord lives, I, boy, this is great to think about this being symbolic of Christ. I will redeem you myself. And it happened. In Bethlehem, there was a wedding between middle-aged Boaz and Ruth. And in one little text here, you see the second chance for everybody. I mean, let's read it. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, by the way, notice they're not saying, is this Naomi? The neighbor women said, now at least Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. And a thousand years later, Ruth and Boaz became the proud grandparents of Jesus Christ. I started this message today by saying it's about second chances. There's second chances for somebody born in the wrong place at the wrong time, on the wrong road, like Ruth. And there's second chances for people like Naomi who really were in the right place but got out of God's will, made some screwy decisions and wound up in the wrong place. And there's a second chance for somebody who's tried to do the right thing all your life and felt like you got passed by and now people are telling you too old, like Boaz. You can imagine when I thought about this message, I I read, reread, reread the book of Ruth over and over and over because I said, I got another calculus here. I have to understand what these people did that led to their second chances. And you read the book, maybe you'll come up with something better than I did, but this is what I came up with. If you, let's start today. Let's say you're Boaz and you feel like you're too old and you're being told you're too old. Every day of your life, you turn on the television, it's young, beautiful people, but you're not there anymore. And beyond that, you know what the culture is and the economy is and, and basically in life, and it, and it just could be you have invested in other people and it seems like you're the one who always gets the short end of the stick. What do you do if you're a bowass? Oh, this is great. Number one, don't let life's disappointments change you. That's where the battle is fought. Guys, as, as pastor of a great church, there have been times when doing the right thing meant difficulty for me. It's been a long time, but there were times when doing the right thing was very difficult, and I would, I would be vilified for trying to do the right thing. You know what I would say to myself in those moments? You cannot let this change you. You can't let it make you better. You can't let it make you give up hope. And I would say to you, if you're a Boaz today, and you say, Mark, I've just I'm trying to do the right thing. You can't let disappointments in life change. You can't get to 45, 55, 60 years old or even older and say, "I'm, I'm through, I'm finished. No, no, no. Second thing, and you see this so clearly from Boaz, don't quit investing in people. When you invest in others and they seem to be promoted and advanced and the people that you've trained are now your boss, it's so easy to say, well, I'm going to quit investing in people, but don't do that. Notice that Boaz, even though he's middle-aged and he hasn't gotten married and doesn't have any kids, he's still investing in people. Notice how he invests in Ruth and notice how it paid off. Here's a third one, and and, and guys, I just want to set this off. I wish I could make lights go off in indoor pyrotechnics because you're going to hear this and you're going to think, wow, this isn't very big. It may be the biggest one of all. Keep being grateful. I don't know why, but God does extraordinary things for thankful people. And God closes off the blessing for people that are not grateful. God just loves thankful people. And Boaz is thankful. I mean, he's thankful to his workers. He's thankful to Ruth. You know, he said, thank you for not picking an old, a younger guy. I mean, he's thankful to God. Boaz is thankful to everybody. I mean, there's something about a thankful person that just, it just, it, it touches the heart of God. And then be open. It's easy when you get to a certain age to say, well, this is all I can expect out of life. But hey, wait a minute, if you're a God follower, you don't have to go with the law of averages. You don't have to go with the norms. If you're a God follower, you're playing with a totally different set of rules. You're playing with God, and God is able to open doors for people at any age. If you're Boaz here today, don't get bitter. Don't get jaded. Keep investing in people. And you be open to what God does. Would you be open to that? What if you're Naomi? It's going to get tense for a few moments, so let's all take a deep breath. What if you're Naomi, and even though you're not quite ready to admit it yet, the fact of the matter is it was your choice that put you there? And right now you're still looking to blame God or blame others. As I said, the reason for that is we know if we ever were honest about it, we'd just hate ourselves. And where would that lead? What if you're Naomi here today? Well, it's real simple to me. Number 1, stop blaming God. I mean, look at look at. I want to read this. This is at a much more painful time in Naomi's life. When she came back to town, she said, "Don't call me Naomi, instead call me Mara for the Almighty has made life very better for me. I went away full, which really wasn't true. They went away in a famine. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty." Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? Wasn't the Lord who caused her to suffer? It was a foolish decision. The Lord has caused me to suffer, and the Almighty has sent such tragedy with me. And earlier she said, the Lord has hit me with his fist five times. In the same breath, Naomi says, God's fault is God's fault is God's fault is God's fault. Is God's fault. You know, nothing good happens then. And it wasn't until Naomi stopped blaming God and, number two, she took her eyes off the past because here's the thing, and and we don't want to be too hard on Naomi, but if Naomi had looked at the past and losing her husband and her two boys, if she had chosen to focus on that, her husband wasn't coming back and her two boys weren't coming back. She could have lived the rest of her life in bitterness and anger if she kept looking back. But there was a point where Naomi said, wait a minute, I'm going to start looking to the future. Third thing, oh, goodness, this is big. Remember how God works. God is not a haphazard God. God has clear-cut, well-defined ways of working. There are things God blesses. There are things God doesn't bless. There are ways God works, and there are ways God doesn't work. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I like about Naomi. There was a point where Naomi stopped going to Moab making those kinds of decisions, and there was a way when she began to coach Ruth on the way God works. This is the kinsman redeemer system. This is the gleaning program. This is the way God works. And the fourth thing that I find is that after she stopped blaming God and, and after her, she stopped looking at the past and she st- thought about how God works, she reengaged in God's will. Guys, I love so much about God. I love the fact that when we get out of God's will, all it takes is to get back on where we got off. I mean, all God was looking for for Naomi was to stop making toxic decisions and to come back to the place where God could bless her. And so today, if you've chosen to go the wrong way, stop blaming God. There's no help there. Take your mind off the past. Look at where you are today and say, God, by your grace, we're gonna, and God for, will forgive you for everything, so you can start with a clean slate today. God, I want to start over. I'm going to look at the future. I want to reengage. I want to get in your will. I want to do what works. What do you do if you're Ruth? And we have a lot of new springers who are Ruths. I know I hear your story because you just say, Mark, I, I've been coming here six weeks. I didn't even know I could ever have a relationship with God. Man, life just put me on the wrong path. I grew up in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Met the wrong friends. I didn't even know the stuff I was doing was wrong. I mean, I was in all this pain. I didn't know what was causing the pain. How do you have a new beginning if you're a Ruth? The reason I love the book of Ruth so much, and I told Mary Alice, I said, I think I could speak six months on this book and never, get, never even get, get into it. The reason I love the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth is all about choices. Whenever I read this super legend of a woman, this grand dam of the faith, whenever I look at Ruth, to me, Ruth is a hero about choices, you know what's ironic about that? There was so much in life that Ruth didn't have any choices. She couldn't choose being, whether she was a Moabite or not. She couldn't choose where she was born. She couldn't choose her family. She couldn't choose the God system, the, the religion that she was brought up in. She couldn't choose the fact that her husband died. I mean, there's a lot that Ruth couldn't choose. She couldn't choose the fact she, couldn't, she had no choice in being poor. But she didn't let that stop her. She made some key choices in her life. Now, here's the big one right here. Oh, I see it's the big one. Maybe the second biggest. She chose to leave. See, here's the thing. When you're like Ruth and you're on the wrong road, you know you ought to be off that road. You want to be off that road, but sometimes we stay on it because we say, well, I know it's a painful road, but at least it's familiar. I I know it. I mean, these are toxic toxic thinking. It's toxic thoughts, but they're my thoughts. These people are hurtful people, but they're my crowd. Man, there was a point where Ruth chose to leave. Her mother-in-law even said, go back. And she said, no, I don't want to be in Moab anymore. I'm leaving. I think that's where it starts today. If you're on the wrong road, you're born on the wrong road, just remember this. There is a God who loves you, and you can leave. You can leave. You don't have to stay there. Ruth said, I may have been born in Moab, but I don't feel like a Moabitess. I choose to leave. She chose new people. This is controversial, but you know sometimes the reason why we stay on the wrong road is we hang with the wrong people and they keep pulling us back on the wrong road. And Ruth said to Naomi, your people will be my people. She chose a new way of life. And here's the big one. Ruth chose the true God. Your God, she said, will be my God. And guys, she chose her redeemer. There came a point where she uncovered the feet of Boaz, and by doing that said, I choose you to be my redeemer. If you are born on the wrong road today, you don't have to stay on the wrong road, and God loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. You know, when I think about Ruth, she's born a Moabitess, and yet she's one of the great heroines of the, I mean, here's the thing, a Boabitus, and yet she's one of the great heroes of the Jewish nation. She is one of the great matriarchal figures of the Jewish nation, born of Moabite, and yet Ruth, the grandmother of David, great-great-grandmother of Jesus. See, when you choose Jesus, he gives you a new <laughs> identity. And if you're willing to do that today, you can make that choice. And the great thing about it, it's a gift, G-I-F-T. You don't get into heaven by being religious or by giving money or by doing community service. You get into heaven by choosing a redeemer. And that's what this whole series is about, and that's what Christmas is about, is that God sent Jesus into our world to be our redeemer, that he lived the perfect life that you and I can't live, and then he died on a cross to pay for our sins. And anyone, like Ruth, no matter where you've been or what your background, anyone who believes in him, puts confidence in him, will have the gift of everlasting life. I know this is a a quick moment, but I'm going to ask you a question. If you're here today and you're not sure you have that relationship, and if you would like to, I want to I want to like help you pray a prayer. And I'm going to pray it slowly. And if you want to, if you mean it, you can repeat it because the words are not what matters so much as what you desire, what you wish in your inner person. So I'm going to pray it slowly, so you can think about it. And if you get into the part of this prayer and you say, "Well, I don't want to pray that," then you can always cut it off at any place. But if you're open like Ruth, why don't you pray it with me, okay? Here we go. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me, and I believe you made a way for me to have a new start. I believe you died for me on the cross, and your blood is a currency that pays for my sins, past, present, and future. I ask you to forgive me and to make me God's child. I choose you as my redeemer. I believe you arose from the grave. And I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I know um, that happened quick. But I have a, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. You can take the Talk to Us card. There's a box on there that you can check that says, I, I prayed with Mark. And um, if, if you will, please come by and get this. It's a gift we have for you if you just prayed. There's a DVD in it. There's a little book that I wrote that answers a lot of questions and a coupon for a new Bible. And you can bring your talk to us card back to guest services out there or in the back, back here. And uh, we'll be glad to give this to you and you take it with you today. Guys, thanks so much for being here today. Christmas Eve is next week. We'll close out the series. Please look forward to seeing you and the ten people that you invite to be part of Christmas Eve. God bless. Ryan. <laughs>